Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message.
talk about this topic, signs of the end of the age. Uh, I think much of what is happening in our world today is, in fact, to some degree caused us uh, to ask the question, what in the world is happening? Are we living in the end times? Uh, where do we go from here? Uh, I think that not only that is a question that many believers have asked, but also some who are not believers are wondering and asking for themselves, what is going on in our world? And I'm not just talking about the war between Russia and the Ukraine, but so much that is happening in our world, in our society. But I want to take <clears throat> some time to look at some of these events and signs of the end of the age for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it's in the Bible. It's a biblical topic, right? <clears throat> uh, and it's, if it's in the Bible, it's a reality. We are called as preachers, as, as uh, leaders, we are called to preach the whole counsel of God, not just portions of it, not just what makes us feel good. Can you imagine if you only had a diet of chips and soda, what would happen to you? That would not be good. Can you imagine if you only had a diet of, of carrot sticks and, and whatever other things you eat when you're on a diet? I don't even know what that, what, what is that word diet? Can somebody <clears throat> help me out here? But, you know, it's important to talk about the end times because, believe it or not, on an average, every 30 verses in the Bible, on an average, I'm not talking about... Uh, chronologically every 30 verse, but as a whole, statistically, every 30 verses in the Bible, there's something mentioned about the end times. And so it's an important topic. Why do I want to talk about it? Also because it's important for our walk with God. 
You say, why is talking about the end times important for my walk with God? Well, first of all, because it should help us and it should propel us to live a holy life so that we purify ourselves. Look at 1 John chapter uh, two, 3, verses 2 and 3. Look at what it says. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. That is a call to holy living. Understanding and seeing that we're living in the end times should not just cause us to fret and fear and panic, but should propel us to live a holy life and to purify ourselves. The second reason why it's important for us is because it should comfort us. Look at what John chapter 14, verses 1 and 3 say. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. I mean, that's just an important thing. Can you imagine Jesus is preparing a place for us? And so if he is preparing a place for us, that should give us comfort that this life that has so much sorrow and trouble and issues and circumstances that we go through and sickness and disease and all of that stuff, one day will end. And we will spend eternity with God. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute. You know, David, I mean, like, honestly, are we just going to be like the escapists? We're just going to run out the, the back door and, and, and be done with life? Well, you know what? I know. There's, there's so much to talk about, about this topic. And I, we will touch about the importance of spreading the good news. That's part of, of this series that we're going to be talking about, the end times. But I want you to know that that is a reality. And that one day, this life will end and we will be with God forever. We will be with God forever. This is also another reason why I want to talk about this topic is because it's an unpopular topic. It's often avoided. And possibly because of the complexity around the, the whole eschatological interpretation. Eschatology is the study of the end times. And so you'll hear me say eschatology or eschatological means the study of the end time. And so there's so many different interpretations. What are you? Are you this? Are you that? Are you the other? And so we kind of like, well, let's just forget about it. Let's not even talk about it. Let's... But you know what? We have a responsibility, each and every one of us, to understand what the Scripture says. You know what the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation itself, Revelation means what? Revelation. It's the uncovering. It's, it's, it's clear. It's like plain and simple. We try to, to spiritualize or, or, or make things more difficult than they actually are. But revelation is that, is revelation. So what are my goals? First of all, I want to let the scriptures explain the scriptures. And this is a little bit of a different type of preaching session, right? This is going to be more on the terms of, of a... Uh, of a verse-by-verse -verse interpretation expository type of preaching rather than personal experience, right, or personal belief. My goal is also to provide context in light of world events and 
cultural events that we live each and every day. Also, I will not, one thing that I will not do, I will not get into schools of thoughts and positions. I'm not going to tell you if uh, you are not that you should be a pre-trib, or you should be a mid-trib, or you should be a post-trib, or you should be an amillennialist, or a premillennialist, or a postmillennialist, or a rapture guy. I mean, some of you guys are saying, what in the world is this guy talking about? Pre-millennial? Mid-trib? I'm not going to get into those, but if you would like to know more... <laughs> Come and speak to one of us, pastors on staff. We love to be able to, uh, to uh, tell you all about it. I'm sure that Jim is just like, he could probably create a new curriculum on the end times. Can you do that, Jim? Yeah, it's, it, I saw a half end going up. I will not get into those schools of thought and interpretation because I think it has caused divisions in the body of Christ. Because you know what? We kind of get into these positions. Well, I believe X, Y, Z. And I think that that is better than A, B, C. So you know what? Get yourself in order. I've actually seen people laugh at others who believe something different than they did. And the truth of the matter is that um, our upbringing from a Christian point of view will, and as for some of, for many of us, dictated what we actually believe about the end times. And so, all I need to say is that we do not want to be divisive in this series. <clears throat> it's also important because it's irrelevant. It, it's completely irrelevant. You say, it's irrelevant why? It's irrelevant to, to, to explain your position and to stand and die on that hill. If you want to, you go ahead. But I will tell you one thing. Here, I'll give you an example. If you don't believe in the rapture, right, of the church, now the rapture is a new, relatively new concept, but it's in the Bible. If you don't believe in the rapture, if there is a rapture of the saints, if you are a true believer of Jesus, what's going to happen? The trumpet is going to sound, and you're going to see Jesus on a white horse in the air, and you will be with him forever, right? Now, if you believe in the rapture and there is no rapture, guess what? When Jesus comes down on a white horse, you're going to be with him forever. Regardless, it is completely irrelevant and immaterial for us to get into these squabbles and, oh, I've got to tell you what I believe. And, oh, you got to tell me what I... We're not going to do that. We're not going to do this here. To that point, I want you to know that it is important actually understand about the end times and end time prophecy. First of all, because why is that important? We have an advantage over those who don't know about end time prophecies. It's important to know. Can you imagine, have you ever um, sat down with maybe friends or relatives and watched a movie that you had already watched before? You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, you're anticipating, you just want to see their faces. Like, oh, that scene's going to come up. And it's like, you know exactly what's happening. And you can't wait to see the reaction when that scene takes place. You know what? That's the book. Everything that is happening right here, right now, in our society, in our world, everything has been predicted. Jesus predicted things with such accuracy, and I'm going to show it to you in a minute when we get into our text, that it is incredible. It's incredible. 
And so we take advantage of that. But we also need to understand that it's important to understand about the end times because we can trust God's character and sovereignty and the sovereignty of God. Look at what Psalm 103 verse 19 says. Psalm 103 verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. In other words, what we're saying is that God is sovereign. God is in charge. God knows it all, does it all, understands it all. There's nothing that escapes his attention. And so if we start with the premise that God's character and his sovereignty that is actually bringing all of this together for us to understand that these end time prophecies and these signs that we're going to talk about are very important for us to actually get into. Because you know what, sometimes without the assurance that God in heaven is in charge on his throne, life can feel somewhat chaotic, at times meaningless, and that can lead to hopelessness and it can lead to despair. But I want you to know that we, each and every one of us, that believe that Jesus is coming back, we have a hope. We are not just living for the here and now. We're not living for this moment only. We have an eternity in front of us. And this life is but a speck in the scope of all eternity. And so let me get into our text this morning, which is found in Matthew chapter 3. 24 and verses 1 to 3. It probably was about, I want to say, five, six weeks ago, that maybe even longer, that the Lord just brought me into Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And I started reading them and reading them. And, and for a couple of weeks, I read that every day and started seeing something different each and every time. And this is just a very powerful concept, a very powerful chapter, but one that people are petrified to tackle. Me included. So I'm going to do the best that I can. Okay, Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples. And when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to these buildings. You see all these things, he asked. Truly, I, will tell, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This is known as the Olivet Discourse. I want you to know that the Olive Garden stole that from the Bible. I just want to say that, you know. That was an Olive Garden. And the Olivet Discourse is, took place on the Mount of Olives. Now, Jesus actually gave about four different discourses throughout the New Testament. I think we all know about the one that happened on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. There's a couple more that you can find in, in uh, Matthew 13 and John 13 to 17. Those wrap up the four discourses of Jesus to a larger crowd. And so Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse after he completed an open rebuke for the hypocrisy and religious spirit <clears throat> that characterized the scribes and the Pharisees of his time. And then he ended that chapter 23 with a lament for killing and rejecting prophets. You say, why are you saying this? It's important. I believe that Jesus 
was painting a picture, even for us today, that, <clears throat> uh, that I believe that Jesus, if Jesus were here in our society, in our world, in our cities today, he would probably give that same lament and that same uh, uh, warning that he gave to Jerusalem because we have blatantly rejected the biblical values and we have departed from the biblical foundations that are so absolutely important to us. You know what? We believe in the Spirit of God moving and we give time for worship and that is so important. But we also believe that we need to have strong foundations when it comes to understanding what the Scriptures are teaching us. That's why we say that we are a church about word and spirit. We need to have the two marry together. I believe that if Jesus were here today, he would call us back. He would call us back to those foundations. He would call us back to that realization that we need that, you know what? We need to go back to God and the foundation of scriptures. He would also condemn the same hypocrisy and religious spirits that were operating in the scribes and the Pharisees that operate in many churches today. Having a form of godliness, Paul said, but denying the power thereof. We cannot allow ourselves to fall into that trap. And so Jesus was painting a picture that those were similar things that were happening in the world back then with the scribes and the Pharisees and, and cities reject, like Jerusalem rejecting the prophets and rejecting what God wanted to do. Now after this, Jesus leaves and his disciples, <clears throat> I think, were probably left in amazement as they looked at the temple. Now, the disciples came from Galilee. Galilee is a small town. They were like country folk. And so they found themselves in Jerusalem looking at these huge buildings. And they were like amazed. That's why they said, let's put that uh, Matthew uh, 1 to 3 again verse. They said that they uh, came up to him to call his attentions to the buildings. They were like, wow, what is this? We've never seen buildings this big. That's incredible. Now, what they were looking at in awestruck wonder was the temple. The temple for the Jews was a central location of their religious activities. This was what historically should be called, some scholars call it the third temple. It was actually physically the second temple that had been built. The first temple had been built by Solomon. I think we all know that Solomon's temple was wonderful, was glorious. When the presence of God, when they dedicated the temple, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory came down and the priests could not even minister. It was a magnificent temple. Now, <clears throat> that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians when they came in and they stripped it and they desecrated it and left it in ruins. During the time of Nehemiah, Zerubbabel was charged by God to build a second temple. The second temple was not nearly as grandiose and as beautiful as the Temple of Solomon was. You say, why is that important? It's important. 
Because, you know, when they dedicated the temple, it says that the cries of joy of the young and the, the tears and the cries of sadness of the old were so loud that you could not tell one from the other. You say, why is that important? Because you know what? The old remembered the glory of the, of the past. They remembered the, the temple of Solomon. They remembered the Shekinah glory. They remembered the power of God. And the youngs were like, oh, well, hey, this is great. It's awesome. Now, there's a lesson there for us. You know, as old people, and I'm, the older I get, the more I realize it myself, we like to reminisce. We like to talk about the good old days. We like to talk about what happened back then. There's nothing wrong with it. If you are one of those that likes to reminisce, don't ever stop reminiscing. In fact, you know what? We are charged as believers to take what God has instructed us, what God has given us as examples of his power, of what we have lived, what we have seen, and imparted on the younger generation. And so if you're younger here, you need to know about the things that we have seen, that we have experienced, because you know what? You also need to have that appetite wet to know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And so the old were crying. The young were rejoicing. You couldn't tell the difference. Because you know what? In reality, one group knew what was missing. The other group was at least happy of what they got. I want to tell you, if you're an older person, what you need to do is you need to pass what God has done for you and in you to the next generation. Find somebody. You know, you probably hear this, uh, you know, from Jim about Prime constantly, that we find a, men, uh, a mentee, somebody that you can mentor. Walk with them. Impart something in them. It is absolutely important. Now, when they finally arrived at the Mount of Olives, they sat down and they asked Jesus these two questions. When will this happen? And then what will be the signs of the coming of the end of the age? Now, <clears throat> that first question has already been fulfilled. What that was is, the pro is a very clear and specific prophecy that Jesus gave, which took place in 70 AD. In 70 AD, a general by the name of Titus marched into the capital, Jerusalem, and completely destroyed it. Josephus, the historian, it's not in the Bible, but Josephus records that over one million Jews were slaughtered during that attack on Jerusalem. One million Jews. And over 100,000 of them were taken captive. There was incredible famine, so much so that it, Josephus records that mothers were eating their own because of this incredibly terrible starvation that was taking place during that time. The Jews had no place to run to. Eventually, they ran to the only building that had strength and power and grandeur, and that was the temple. And so they, they would run into the temple. And just to tell you the evil that was the Roman Empire at the time, Titus, the general, had a little bit of a, 
uh, of a liking to the temple. He did not want the temple to be destroyed because he realized that there was a lot of gold in that temple. And so he wanted to keep it as a wonder of the known world at the time. But Josephus records, and it's not really clearly known, but it records that possibly one of the Roman soldiers, when all of the Jews had hidden inside the temple, got drunk and set fire to the temple accidentally. The fire was so hot that it literally consumed the gold to a point that the gold literally melted into the stones. Now, now you're probably thinking, is this like a stone wall, like, you know, the, the one by one? No. The stones that made up the temple <clears throat> during the time of the New Testament, which was, by the way, Herod expended that same temple as Zerubbabel, so it was bigger, larger structure, right? The stones of the temple were many of them 50 feet long by 20 feet wide and 15 high. As big as those. So you're talking about like a train, uh, you know, a, a, a what do you call it? A, a, a train cart, thank you. Like the size of a train cart that was actually a stone that made up that temple. When the fire happened and the gold melted into these stones, guess what? Remember what Jesus said? It's Jesus sitting, right? Uh, sorry, on verse 2. Do you see all of these things? He asked, truly, I, would, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. You know what happened? After the fire, Titus actually commissioned his soldiers to go and retrieve the gold in between the stones. They literally had to remove every single stone out of the way to retrieve that gold. Jesus' prophecy was 100% accurate. Now, the second question that the disciples asked is what I want to focus on over the next few weeks. And we're going to start today because Jesus begins with a series of events that characterize the end times. And many of these events for us are not unknown or unusual. In fact, I would say that they're very current-like event that we are living right now. First of all, in verses 4 to 5, the first one is deception. Jesus talked about deception will characterize the end times. And so in verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, or Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3, and it's not behind us, but if you want to make note of that, you can. It tells us that any spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Any spirit, including deceptive spirits. Jesus told them that they would Come in his name. These people would come in the name of Jesus and claim to be him. But he basically said, do not listen to them. Do not follow them. Because they will try to deceive you. To sway you from the faith. You know, <clears throat> something very interesting that I was looking up. I'm like, I wonder what happened through the centuries. Have we seen more and more of these deceiving characters, listen to this. In the 18th century, these are notables, right? Not all of them, but notables. Two notables claimed that they were 
the Messiah. In the 19th century, six of them. In the 20th century, 25 of them. Notables. People that we've heard about. Like Jim Jones, that kind of notable person. In the 21st century, so far, eight. It's increasing. Because the deception is increasing in our world. The this deception runs deeper. And, it, and it's deeper than we think. In fact, it runs deeper than just the religious or Christian circles. Or those who believe that they are the reincarnation of Jesus. Because, you know, we can be deceived by pride. Pride can deceive us. Pride can set in our hearts to a place where we start thinking that, oh, well, we got something, we're something. Uh -uh. We must be aware and we must be on the alert. If you look at the political arena and the cultural arenas, it's even worse than in the religious arenas. Deception runs rampant. If you don't line up to what we tell you, you are canceled. That's it. You're done. We don't care about you. Church, we are called to be the light of the world. It is our responsibility. It is our responsibility to impart to the next generation, all those children that go into classrooms that we impart, that we teach the Word of God to. You know, one of the greatest things that has happened in, during this COVID season has been moms rebelling against the system and saying, no, we're not going to take this insanity. It's been good. We must be aware. And you know what? Moms and dads, it's our responsibility to stand guard over the next generation. In the time of Judges, in the Old Testament, it tells us that people, everyone, Scripture says, was doing what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that what characterizes our society today? Everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes. Verses 6 and 7 is the second point of what Jesus talks about, which is wars and rumors of wars. And so in verses 6 and 7, it says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. That's so important. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. According to the United Nations, in 1965, there was a total, a grand total of wars and conflicts around the world of about 10. 10. In 2003, which is already, we know, almost 10 years, 20 years ago, there were nearly 15, or there were 15 major wars and nearly over 20 other conflicts that were happening around the world. Wars and conflicts impact lives and desecrate and destroy people. Jesus said, don't be alarmed. These things must happen. Now, it's very interesting because the word don't be alarmed is not just like, hey, don't worry about it. There's a little bit more meaning in the original. It actually means this. It's better translated as don't be agitated. 
and don't be disturbed. Can I put it in today's language? Don't freak out. Like you're looking at what's happening and you're saying, oh my God, it's the end. Run for the hill. What do I do, God? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, this is crazy. What do I do? That it. Right there. Don't freak out. Don't be alarmed. Don't be agitated. Don't be concerned. Don't be disturbed. You see, fear and worry will not buy you a single span of a moment of a lifetime. Nothing. It will not accomplish anything other than supply you with more tension and more stress and living life on pins and needles. And that's just not the way that I want to live my life. I don't know about you. This verse also speaks of nations against nations. And we know that we're seeing that today. Russia versus Ukraine, right? That's, this is a major conflict that's happening right now. But Jesus also said, and it's important, kingdom against kingdom. I don't know about you, but I don't ever refer to a country as a kingdom. I know that there's a united kingdom. There's a emirates, kingdoms of the emirates. I don't know. But you know what? I never talk about, oh, let's just go to that kingdom on vacation. We never do, right? Kingdoms here, it's actually referring to how about the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. There are kingdom conflicts in the spirit realm because you know what? The Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of the powers of the air. That's his fear. That's his kingdom. But there's a greater reality above his reality, and that's kingdom of God reality, and that's what we live by. Now, let me also make a quick or take a quick detour here. The word nations in the original language, which is the Greek that the Bible was written, is the word ethnos. Ethnos is a word that derives what we commonly say as ethnicity, right? There has never, when you really consider it, never been a time where there's been more conflict about culture and, and about racial tension and divisions than there are today. Plain and simple, I want to tell you it's wrong. I'm not going to get you into, in, into uh, positionings. I'm, that, that's not what we do. That's not what I do. I don't know my opinion. I can give you my opinion. There's just an opinion. But I can tell you one thing, and I want to tell you this, that in this church, we love and embrace all ethnical and, or ethnic and racial expressions of the creation of God. Every single one of them. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care where you come from. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to God. Because you know what? We are part of one family. And that is the family of God. And the sooner we understand that, the better it will be for us to integrate together as a family, to learn to live together as a family. If that is not your spirit, then this church ain't your church. It ain't the place for you. You know who my, my best friends are? My best friends are Puerto Rican and African American. I'm Italian. My wife is Canadian, and we don't care. 
We raised our kids. My daughter was on stage singing. Her best friends in college were, I think it was like Filipino, Puerto Rican, and, and black, right? Three of them. They were at our house all the time. She was at their house all the time. We lived together. It doesn't really matter. The skin color. As, you know what? It does matter. I'll say it this way. It does matter. It matters that we understand that we must love each other no matter what we look like. No matter what we talk like. You know what? I may not sound exactly like a southerner from south of, of the United States. But I'm a southern boy from another country. Italy. There you have it. So I'm southerner too. Wars and rumors of wars don't freak out. Lastly, I'm going to close with this. Famines and earthquakes and pestilence. <clears throat> now, that's found in verse 7. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now you say, where are you getting pestilence from? Well, you know, each of these scriptures are found in their synoptical gospels as well. So this chapter 24 is also found of Matthew is also found in Luke 21 and in Mark 13. So you can read that same account, similar language, but sometimes there's small variations. In the Gospel of Luke, who is a doctor, Dr. Luke, is very accurate, and so he actually brings out pestilence. I think that's important. Now, lack of food and supplies and famines are one of the results of war times. I think we all know and understand that. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 6 <clears throat> tells us that we are coming to a day when a portion of wheat and barley is going to cost us a day's wages. That's a lot. You say, wow, when's that day going to come? I don't know. Maybe when gas reaches, I don't know, 10 bucks a gallon? I don't know. Who's going to transport your milk and bread from other places in the country? I was watching this trucker that put in $1,054 in his truck. And he was transporting something from California to the, from the West Coast to the East Coast. How many times is he going to fill that truck? $1,000 a clip. So tell me, how much is that gallon of milk going to cost us at the store at some point? We have people that come and clean our offices. And I just got a nice little neat notice saying, because of the price of gas, we're going to increase the price of your cleaning because we actually have to drive to your office. Totally understandable. But that is what's happening in our world today. Luke 21 mentions pestilence. I think that we've been living since 2021 with the pestilence. Or 2020, I should say. Now, I know I'm not going to trivialize it. It's real. I believe it. It has been politicized way too much. I want to stay away from any conversation of politicizing, but I, I am not a fool. Because, you know what? <clears throat> In 2019, the World Health Organization was battling diseases such dengue and Ebola and other dangerous pathogens like the Zika virus and the Mars and the MERS, I should say, and SARS and global influenza. It seems like all of those have disappeared from our planet. We're living in 2022 when the only thing that the 
World Health Organization on their website talks about is COVID. Interesting. Now I'm going to ask you a question. You do what you want with it. But could this be part of a global reset in an effort to control us? Can earthquakes be manipulated? Tsunamis? Natural disasters? Are they really all natural disasters? I don't know. Study. Read. Ask yourself questions. Don't just turn on the news and gather your opinion from what you hear. You know, the very fact that Jesus prophesied these Matthew 24, nearly 2,000 years ago, and they are happening in our world today, is enough to increase my trust in Him and in His power. And so, let me conclude by reading verse 8. Verse 8. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. That's the image of a woman giving birth to a child. I've never given birth to a child, but I've seen my wife give birth to Three of our beautiful children. Usually, pains begin slow, and then they intensify until birth is given. These are the beginnings, because we have seen already all of these throughout the course of history, right up until now. Now, next week we're going to talk about other events that we have not yet seen. We're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible refers to the tribulation period and what that means. You know, I don't know where you're at in your life. And I don't know if Jesus is truly the Lord of your life, 100%. I don't know if you're living for God 100%. But for me personally, this encourages me. Remember at the beginning what I shared, that this should spur us and encourage us to live a holy life before God. To not consume our energies and spend our days and our energies thinking of, what's the next fun thing that I can do? How about, you know, we used to say, some people used to say, some people are so heavenly minded that no earthly good. You know, I want to tell you this. How about we become so heavenly minded that we're not literally walking with our feet on earth. There's nothing wrong with that. There's never in the Bible a verse that talks about not being heavenly minded. It actually tells us everything about being heavenly minded and no earthly good. Let's not embrace the philosophy of a world that seeks to take us out of the picture. Christians, irrelevant, move out of the way. No. There is relevance to what we believe. There's relevance to Jesus. And what he said 2,000 years ago is very much a reality today. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. 
To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.